Hello, hope you guys are doing well. Um, sorry for the little delay here. I was just checking to see if we're good to go. I'm going to just um, do this more like a podcast. I'm not going to wait for too many people to jump on. Um, sorry for folks who ended up <clears throat> jumping on. I'm right here or whatever and you missed some of it. Um, but I just wanted to be conscientious of other people's time. Also, um, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'll just get straight to it. Uh, this one's called False Halters. Um, I'll start by praying, and um, we'll just go from there. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for um, words of revelation you give us along the way. Lord God, I thank you that you meet us where we're at, and you give us what we need when we need it, Lord. Lord, um, we don't have the full picture, but Lord, we understand that you want to make it known to us the truth. You want to make known to us how to operate in your truth and what to do in these days, Lord. Pray that you'd strengthen us all, allow us to see you more clearly. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We just ask for more of your presence in our lives, Lord, as we meditate upon your scriptures, as we fellowship. Whatever we're doing, Lord, we, we want you to be a part of it all, Lord. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So hopefully you guys can hear me. Um, this this idea came because my first book was um, about birthrights and empires, and I'm, I haven't published it yet. Um, in the editing process of that, in that book, um, some of you guys probably know the 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 central message is that we have a birthright. And that a part of the story of humanity is that we gave up our birthright um, in exchange for empires. It wasn't um, completely what we thought it was going to be, but even before the story that I go over in the book, a lot of, uh, or uses a, a backdrop, Jacob, the Jacob and Esau account, where there's a bowl of soup and a birthright. Birthrights are given up, obviously, um, when Adam makes the choice to sin against God. That gives up a portion of his birthright, the authority that he has here on the earth. He had the authority to subdue all the earth and all creation and to work the land and to be in community with what with, with creation, you know, as God had ordained him. But a part of what happened obviously is they took the the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, which I've heard a lot of people put it this way, it's basically like the fruit opened their eyes to the ability to compare, to compare and to contrast, to basically say that what I see here might not be at face value, it might not be the best option, God might be withholding something from me, and so I'm going to choose to see it from the perspective of lack and scarcity versus um, the Lord allows us to see what we need to see it in our due season. So, you know, imagine um, Adam and Eve, they lived to be almost 960 years or something like that old. And along the way, every hundred years, there's a infinite degree of um, uptick in cognitive ability or spiritual prowess or spiritual um, um, IQ, you know, that would happen over time naturally by walking out their relationship with the Lord, understanding more and more who we are as a people, 
and doing so in a way that is safe you know I think when you have too much understanding knowledge and wisdom if you don't use it correctly it could be a detriment to you. and so that's sort of what happened is over time when we come to this story of the Tower of Babel we have a long line of history obviously the, the reason for the Tower of Babel we'll get to that in a little bit and why they thought they had to build it there's different um, ideas that have been floated around but one of the things is the, the running thread is there's rebellion seated in the DNA of man and then the DNA of man it's questioning God's legitimacy it's questioning God's the, the necessity of having God in your life the necessity of worshiping the Lord um, we see some of that those tensions flare up every now and then even with the patriarchs before we even get to the flood we have uh, Cain and Abel and they both make an offering and a sacrifice um, there's no altar mentioned here but what they gave was supposed to be or what they were supposed to give was out of an abundance of um, their I, I guess their heart towards the Lord and their willingness to worship him um, a part of the story that you know what we're working with here is a story of people having to choose whether or not they're going to go God's way or choosing whether or not they're going to build up their own empires with this part of the saga they're building false altars um, and um, just like people put up walls um, you know the first uh, you notice the differences between the nomadic tribes or the, the tribes that were pastoral versus the people that had settled down in cities they were putting up walls of protection because when you have a wall of protection you have a kingdom you have people you have resource you have gold you have treasure you know you have munitions you have food these are all these things that you're trying to protect within the walls and you create an empire you create a city for the very reason of protection so as it you know we don't talk about it a lot there's one of those things in the church we don't talk a lot about but there are lots of other people in the bible um at around the time where all these things are happening so for instance when we come to the tower of babel you wonder why are they building a tower one of the reasons you build a tower is for fortification um one of the first times we get to an altar space we'll, we'll talk about the altar here um is in exodus 20 uh 24 through 26 and um, this is god he's saying look an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So there's a lot of interesting things here. Um, and it's interesting, you know, to think about profaning the stone, profaning the implement that is being used as a place to put the sac the sacrifice or the burnt offerings. Like, for instance, the whole thing of sacrifice itself, it's a very bloody mess. When you sacrifice an animal, you, you butcher the thing, essentially, right then and there. And the priests, when they're done, they're covered in blood. 
and not one part of the animal is goes unused so either some of it's eaten or um, some of it's burnt and you know completely burnt and spread over some you know as ashes or whatever it might be but nothing goes to waste and it wasn't the material or the look of it that would be the problem I believe but the thought that comes to mind is it's the intention behind the creation of the ornate altar that might have less to do with worshiping God um, and more to do with showing power and prestige that harkens to our medieval churches in big steeples and huge walls stained glass the altars are covered in gold the you know whatever you whatever is in there it costs a lot of money to install or paint or, or, or put together. And you know, expense is not the problem. You look at the, the, the tabernacle, the altar, um, the, whole, the whole shebang bang, you know, what they built in Exodus, they put a lot of gold into it. You know, the gold and silver they came out of Egypt with goes into funding that project. So it's not about money. It's not about um, the look of it. It's the intention of the heart. And there's so many different altars that we come across in the Bible. There's two different types of altars. One is the, the more rudimentary type, which is the one that is just rocks. Whatever you can find, put it together. Make an altar unto me, unto the Lord. And um, worship here, sacrifice here, and, and praise and worship with me. The other type of altar is obviously something that goes inside of a temple space or more in our modern time, our churches. Um, we fast, we, we go specifically this time of Nimrod where he comes on the scene. He comes as a representative of the descendants of Noah. You know, we talked about that already, but he comes as the portion of the descendants which were actually cursed. He is a direct descendant of Ham. So, um, his name actually means let us rebel, one of his names. He was also called, um, you know, a mighty man. Um, th he was also called a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a hunter of men. And so Ham, you have Ham who begets Cush, who begets Nimrod, if I'm not mistaken. And each one of those children of Ham, they all each end up taking huge swaths of land. And Nimrod takes the hugest uh, portion because um, he takes it over by force. And so he's the top dog in the land at the time. And he's got millions of people under him. I mean, you're talking by the time he gets on the scene and you have these people still living hundreds of years long. You know, Noah lives, uh, you know, many, many years, oh, you know, way over 100 years. Um, I'd have to look it up. I think it's something in the 600s, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, I'd, let's see. Let's see. Let's do a little quick. Let's see what Google gives you. Wow, 950 years. How off was I? So Noah lives 950 years. Okay, so the people are reproducing, living longer. And there's lots of people on the earth. So still, when we're looking at this time, this, this frame of time in the Bible, we have to understand there's more going on than just a couple people here and there on a little plot of land. I mean, we're talking about the whole earth, large parts of land. When you look at the globe, they were covering, they, they had control of a lot of resource, a lot of people. And on top of all this, you have giants in the land. You know, um, 
those Hittites and Jebusites and the Hivites or whoever, the, the, they all have giants within their camps. Uh, the giants are seen as mercenaries a lot of the time. And so that's why you have, uh, you know, David going, facing off against Goliath. He's a mercenary. He's in that Pentopolis, uh, the Canaanite, Canaanite Pentopolis. And it's said that there's five of the other brothers of Goliath. And the, the, a lot of Jews believe is Goliath is one of five giants placed in Canaanite lands to help uh, reinforce their, um, their land there and their resources. So imagine the size and scope of this project. Um, tons of people, tons of bricks being put together. Um, some historians, some scholars, they, they look at the, the actual base. They've, they think they've been able to find the base of the Tower of Babel. Because obviously over time, things get knocked down or pushed over. We're talking thousands and thousands of years ago. But they, they managed to find the plot of land. And they're measuring 300 feet to one mile high as the proposed proportions and a possibility of being miles in circumference, uh, one mile to 50 miles on some exaggerated scales. So this is a huge structure that's going to be seen for miles. But not only that, um, something that God says was interesting is, um, you know, we'll, we'll look at Genesis 11:4 right now. And it says, um, uh, this is the people of Shinar is saying, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay. So towers, like I just said before, they were signs of power, but also signs of provision. They acted as outposts, military power centers. The people in neighboring lands would know the might based on what they've managed to produce, um, based on the manpower and resource. The people under Nimrod controlled a great amount of the choice lands of the time as his relatives controlled other lands. So um, essentially what a lot of people think is that he put a lot of people into slavery to make the pull this off, which is very typical. Uh, later on, the Egyptians did that. And, and way before that, a lot of people believe the giants and the Anunnaki and all sorts of ancient civilizations were using people to do a lot of their labor. Um, and, you know, the way it was is they just saw people as just fodder. So they could care less. Um, so when we, you know, when we look at this from one perspective, we look at the scripture and it says, you know, they were going to do this thing. And if they did this, then there was going to be nothing that would hold them back, essentially, is what God says. So he, you know, gives them uh, divided tongues or confuses the language. Um, when we look at these pyramids, when we look at the tower, when we look at the, the ziggurats, you know, a lot of times we look at them as just signs of worship where you know you you whether it's the biblical altars or these altars that are from the occult we look at them at face value um and biblically speaking we don't understand what sort of world we're encountering when we come from the the 21st century perspective Meaning, they were doing 
more than just building um, towers and pyramids for the aesthetic or for even the sign or for even the the surface ritual um, that we know today or we understand today most of us understand today like we look at it and even when we watch for instance the there's a, a documentary series called ancient apocalypse or ancient apocalypse i think and it's basically this guy named grand hancock which you know it's pretty cool what he did um because even what he's doing is, is a pretty far step what he's doing is in in a way basically saying look these structures are here before most uh historians most anthropologists most archaeologists have come together and said this is the date of like the explosion of society and what you find is that these structures are all over the world at very precise points on you know on a map with precise location between stars and equinoxes and um on site on the ground at specific times you'll see the light and the stars and uh, the movements, the courses of, of everything that's celestial sort of lining up with that physical space where, for instance, when the light is full, the light goes right in through this chamber that's 300 feet under the ground, you know, and they've got it all kind of aligned where all these weird things happen. Um, they find these bones in the bottom of these places and they're like, oh, this was just a burial ground. But when you read the Bible and you understand what was actually happening, when you read ancient texts that are coming from um, historians who have come in contact with these people thousands of years ago, or you just read the histories of these people, a lot of these cultures, they're taking their own history seriously and writing it down. Yet they're, they're mentioning the fact that they've come into contact with people that were there before them and that these um, places were rituals They'll, they'll write about learning the ritual from these ancient people. And what you'll find is that everybody's been re, you know, replicating the rituals over years, uh, over time, forgetting where they come from. And at the end of the day, most people think, well, this is just a South American thing. This is what they do here. They've got the leopard god and Tecnoctalon or whatever it is. They've got Quetzalcoatl. They've got all these different pantheons of demigods. But... What it comes down to is that all of these structures are doing, they're doing the same thing. They're aligning the structure with the suns and moons, with time, with space, with land, physical space. And also, I believe, spiritual space. And then they're doing the rituals. They're doing occultic rituals. I won't get too much into that here on the podcast because I, I, I think I've talked about it enough. And I think, you know, we don't want to glorify it. But what we want to understand to the very you know, to the very least degree, is that these people were tampering with dimensional space. They're tampering with time. They're tampering with opening up portals, opening up spaces to the demonic, which is essentially, it's a very scientific thing when you think about it, but the way in which they do it doesn't seem scientific. And so what's happening in these spaces, there's a lot of blood letting, a lot of blood sacrifice, you know, and we understand that blood actually has power and energy within it you know um we have life energy within us as a as a people 
we have um, frequency coming off of us, at least an eight foot radius just from our heart. We have frequency, you know, around coming, you know, going into many directions from our brain. Um, and, and on top of that, there's electric, electrical energy flowing through our body. And so all this is to say there's power and energy released when these things happen, right? Um, we even remember God, you know, he's telling Cain, he's saying, look, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, right? Frequency, frequency makes a sound, you know, it echoes out. And so frequency in this moment, he's basically saying, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, right? So there was something, you know, more than just moralistic happening here. There's more than just a moral of the story type deal. Something's happening where God's letting us know that the blood of humans is very important. He has put something in it that it, it'll actually interact outside of the body through the ground to the Lord. So maybe it's in frequency only he can hear because he's our creator, but something is still happening. The tower, like all these other megalithic structures I mentioned earlier, those those are false altars. Those are they the technology and what they understand it to be is um, different than what we understand it to be. There's a lot more to it, and so the structures were portal portal openers, basically the best way I can put it, right? And so. Essentially, Nimrod, with this tower, one of the things I believe he's trying to do is break open portals again. So those fallen angelic spirits, those uh, fallen Nephilim spirits that were dispatched during the flood would have uh, an opportunity to come out. And obviously, that, that must have been a part of the story somewhere in the narrative you know someone talked to somebody nimrod was around when a lot of those earlier patriarchs are around so i mean Nim nimrod was alive when noah was alive so these stories of angels and and the giants and walking with god in the garden all sorts of stuff this is being passed down we have one group of people who are rebellious or misusing the information and technology they get to use, you know, they're using the technology, they're going to build the Tower of Babel, but more importantly, they're going to use other information technology to, to start to tamper with the, the natural order of things. And so, um, let's see here. I don't want to get lost here, but uh, let's see. In, Gen uh, in Genesis uh, 28, okay, um, oh, and don't let me forget, this is, this is something that the Lord uh, might have shown me. So uh, I was thinking, now we serve Christ, and with our words as frequency, we proclaim we need a holy sacrifice to lift the curse off, off of our DNA. So essentially what I was thinking was, as at the moment of us coming into alignment with the Lord and us saying we want to be Christians, we want to follow Jesus, the word, even the thought process, allows our heart frequency to come into alignment with the Lord, which allows, you know, Jesus, the proclamations of Jesus to have full effect over us because his words left his mouth and are ringing throughout all of the earth. You know, so quantumly, we're connected with the power of those words where he says, you know, anyone who comes to me 
will not thirst. You know, surely this day, you know, you who believe in me, you know, you'll be in paradise with me. I, I butchered that. But essentially, things are happening on the surface when we're taking it as just as words. But we understand we're people of image and also people of frequency. There's a lot more going on than what we realize. So, and let's go to, you know, jump to Genesis 28. We see, see another altar, right? This is... um. um uh, Jake, Jacob's ladder here. He says, I uh, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. So early the next morning, Jacob, I've skipped a couple verses uh, down to 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz, which I think means light in Spanish. Um, and Bethel means house um, in Hebrew. Um, if I'm not mistaken, house of God, but I think it's at least house. Yeah, I think Bethel is house of God and Beth is house. Um, like Aleph, Beth, yeah. So imagine for a second the Lord visits Jacob in a rock without value, right? And many years later, earlier, an altar is created with an evil intent. So we have an altar, rocks that are being hewn, cut, arranged, stacked up to touch the sky. And they're going to be used for other evil purposes, right? So um, there's, a, there's a, man, a manipulation, a, nef a nefarious manipulation there. But it's a stark contrast between the people of God who rely on their father and they understand that, look, it's rudimentary, it's plain, but this is more about my faith. This is more about my relationship with Yahweh, me honoring him and me remembering what he did here. Um, I think the false altars continuously bring remembrance to the things that are in our idolatrous wheelhouse. So it's a weird thing I thought about the other day, but we build our altars, we build our lives a lot of times around the things that actually give us power. So in essence, we're continuously making ourselves the idol. We're using these things to give us false impressions of power. Um, in our world terms, you know, we... Um, identify with ideas, we identify with movements, with paradigms because they give us some sort of power or separation or some sort of identity or purpose or mandate. Not everything that we ascribe to though is really for us. We've been tricked into believing though they are part of um, building a, a proper lifestyle. We'll get more to that in a little bit but um, the altars um, that were pleasing to the Lord became a place of encounter between God and man. So quite literally, it was a place, place of sacrifice. Something or someone was being depleted or divested of something. So in, in Jacob's instance, it was oil, right? Um, Isaac, it was going to be his son. And then a ram comes. And so that's the technology. You have the age of the ram. You know, you have... Um, what was the age of the bull, you know, 
um, before that. So you have these different ages coming and there's different technologies being prescribed to the people on the earth. Um, and so over time, once Abraham comes, it's a bull. You know, it's always a bull because there's power there, but there's also a lot of loss. You know, when you think of an animal that can feed thousands of people, but you're going to, you know, give that up to God. You know, we don't think of it as a huge sacrifice today. But when we're talking about agrarian societies, and, and the best way to put it, actually, now that it comes to mind, in a modern-day society, there are still tribes that will do a dowry. And so in some African countries, they'll have certain wives presented, and the, I guess, I can't remember if it's the, the husband's side or whatever, but somebody has to pay for that wife from a dowry. And the other the father will say how much to, I guess, the, 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 the girl's side, and they'll say, you know, 10 cows, you know. So they still use it, but everything, it's a resource. You know, we use, we look at money and paper as our resource, but really when we're trading and bartering, we've got one thing we produce and we can give it to somebody else um, who's producing something else and we understand that there's an exchange based on what we both feel the resource is worth. That is money in and of itself and we have a bad system of money right now, obviously. Um, but we're being fooled into thinking our money is worth more than it really is. Um, that's another story. Um, when an altar is created and used for an intended purpose, there's an interaction with God. So a waiting period sometimes will happen, right? Or, or God might call you to some weird circumstances, even in the worship, the sense of worship, the style of worship, how much to give, what to do, what to sacrifice, how long to wait. All this is... Relying on the Lord, whether it's a grain harvest, a wine harvest, an oil harvest, and subsequently an oil tie, the wine tie, the harvest tie, the grain tie, whatever, right? Those, those things are meaning something to us, and we're exchanging and understanding the thing we're exchanging for is way more valuable to us. The relationship with the Lord is way more valuable to us, right? So... These false altars, you know, they tell us that we're going to have a certain meaning once we come out of a certain exercise or experience, right? So even when you look at another false altar, this might not seem like it, but you look at the Washington Monument, for instance, you look at that. It's a very phallic symbol, and there's two obelisks. There's another obelisk just like it. It's where... Um, the Vatican is, sorry. And they've got a dome there themselves, just like we have a capital. And you can see pictures on the internet. There's a lot of symbolism there with um, the, the Babylonic thought process and religion and culture, um, as with everything, you know. That's why I, you know, when I looked at the false altars, I, I chose the Tower of Babel because the Nimrod was that connection. But once Nimrod comes, you know, I'm listening to a podcast just recently where they're talking about Attila the Hun actually being uh, related to Nimrod and Genghis Khan being related to Nimrod. And all of these heroes um, over time from antiquity being connected to Nimrod. And in actuality, you know, there's a lot of statues, a lot of paintings, a lot of things all over the world where they're marked and changed and uh, altered 
where their people, their their older gods and older things that are kind of floating around in these these countries with people with fair skin and red hair, right? And there were people that predated the people that most of us understand are like the people that are there first. You know what I'm saying? So in, in our Western world, we kind of think only of Europe and sometimes Africa, you know, um, because of the Middle East there and the conflict. But when we think about the world and we think about our history, we, we forget about the Eastern world a lot. And, um, you know, it's funny. Jesus did miracles over there. The apostles went over there, to you know, especially in Turkey and some other places. I mean, there is a lot of rich history that we're missing out on. And, you know, so I sort of digress here. But um, I was basically kind of, you know, when I'm looking at this stuff in the Tower of Babel, I'm thinking, man, this has a long thread throughout our history. But I'm thinking, okay, what does this look like today? Because, you know, today we're not building a lot of altars to fallen heroes or even present day kings and queens and and monarchs. You know, most of the time we're pretty reserved and we have this false sense of, um, I guess, equality within the political systems around the world. Um, but really when it comes at the end of the day, there there is a system, there is a playbook, there are some things that are going to happen. There might be some things that might be outside, some little outliers, but for the most part, the narrative is basically written. And what happens, I believe God is coming in and out throughout history and placing his people within strategic points to sort of break the algorithm, so to speak, and to start to see things at, at face value for what they really are. Meaning we see behind the natural realm facade and we start to go into the spiritual realm to see what they actually mean and what they're doing to the land, right? Because this is sort of where I'm going is these altars that we see today, they have the same effect then, right? So Nimrod, they put up the altar, they put up the tower, and it was going to be a structure that other people could see, but their own people could see as well, right? And the kingship himself could feel like this is uh, an extension of me. Other people around the world could say, look, that building is like ours. They must have a similar origin. Let's unite. Okay, that's one other thing. Um, and the, the, the bigger picture is that at the end of the day, there are two kingdoms. Okay, we have the kingdom of the Lord. We have the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And then we have the kingdom of the earth, or, or rather the kingdom of the prince of the air, which is a, a faulty kingdom. It's uh, got loopholes and a facade built within. And so the whole system is likely to crumble, you know, at any moment. But what we, what we find is that they do a good job of displaying power, displaying prominence, displaying ease and comfortability. And separation from problem but really what it is it's um, like the Tower of Babel they build this really high structure because some scholars believe they're still a little anxious about this whole flood thing um, and the fact that they could be wiped off the earth again you know uh, if you notice they're the, the largest proponent for wanting to build this tower Nimrod having the most power and using his subjects but there are other people in the world at the time still right and no one else, I believe, is pushing as hard as he is to display power, but to create a firmer grip on the earth. Whereas other places in the earth, they're not 
putting up this altar to dis or this huge tower to display any sort of prominence, right? Um, the importance here is that when we're looking at the things that are crumbling now, the, you know, the Lord, I'll go back a second, but the Lord told me, you know, these mountains were going to be coming down. These mountains of, on, in commerce and business and Hollywood, uh, political mountains were going to get shaken. Religious mountains are going to get shaken. You know, um, so here's some false altars. You know, I just cut to the chase because I'm trying to transition here and figure out. I want to give you the right information. I want you guys to be blessed and encouraged. And I want to give you guys points to, to build off of. So in your own prayer time, you can start to look at things that are around you and say, that's a false altar. You know, I know it for what it is now. Um, and false altars can look like churches in certain areas that are looking like they're doing the work of the kingdom. But you know there's been scandal. You know there's been things that have come out. And you say, okay, what's what's there? You know, a lot of the times it's one or two leaders who have gotten too big. You know, God established the place, God anointed a man or a woman. He called them to a certain mandate and process. But then over time, the things of the earth call to us. They have their own altars out there and they're continuously signaling to us to worship on their altars because our altars aren't working. Right. So over time, what it will look like is... Um, or what happens over time is you have to have an Elijah come in, right? And Elijah has to come in because the people of the land are sacrificing to other gods. There's no one enticing them anymore, right? Um, the Tower of Babel saga, right, they're being forced into it, but also the people are joining in slowly but surely all around this little area here of Shinar. And we're talking about millions of people. But they're joining in and, and adding to this power, those leaders with this leader, with this leader, with this kingdom, with this kingdom. The, the power is becoming a, a, a conglomerate. And they want to continuously say to themselves, we don't need God. And they want to continuously say to the people, you don't need God either. Okay, you don't need a God who's going to restrain wisdom and knowledge from you, right? You don't need a God who's going to keep you, who's going to wipe you off the face of the earth, right? And so... Um, obviously that wasn't the reason why God did it, but that is the story. Until these altars speak to where we've got power, there is no God, and you need us. You need our false gods. What we have here in, in this space of worship is what you need. You know, and so it's interesting, the altars that God constructs, they're unhewn. They're not manufactured. You know, the altars that we see in the world then and now are highly altered. You know, they're tampering with either perception, they're tampering with natural space, they're tampering with time, they're tampering with truth, uh, just to get across the idea that they we need them and that they have a solution answer, which might lead to, lead to some expression of real life, a comfortable life, right? So there's always an investment. There's always an exchange. You know, when you exchange with false altars, we are the exchange. When we exchange with the Lord, He is the exchange. His presence is the power and authority. His love is what continuously attracts us. His love is like water to our soul. I'm talking about the one and only Jesus Christ. So I'm hopefully I'm in the building. Hey, peeps. I'm, I'm just saying what's up real quick for all you podcasters who might be listening later on. 
Um, I've got nobody in the rooms. You know, my algorithm is messed up. I'll tell you guys uh, uh, just a quick bit. You might not know it, but my channel got totally hijacked by way of uh, getting some hits on some content that had, you know, barely any content talking about um, things that happened in January and things that surrounded that. You know, I talked about that a couple times and I said what I had to say. And I got, um, you know, I, I got the, the, you know, the kick on a couple of my, um, my episodes. So it's all good, but, you know, I couldn't, it, I was discouraged, I'll tell you what. And on top of that, I was finishing school and, you know, um, I got life. I got three kids and, and a wife, so things are happening. So, you know, I thank you guys just for sticking around and, and checking it out and subscribing and sharing all that good stuff. It's been awesome. I uh, really do enjoy doing this. Now that I'm finished with my MDiv, I'll have more time to do stuff like this. So, um, you know, keep rocking with me. I'm finishing another book, and that's where a lot of my content comes from, um, is the, the things that the Lord puts on my heart. Um, these are not uh, far-out ideas. I'm not the only one talking about this stuff. Uh, I believe the Lord wants more people to talk about it because it, it's breaking us out of some boxes that have been constraining the people of God for a very long time. Um, and I, I believe people are waking up. Um, uh, it's some of some of it is a rude awakening, uh, for sure. Um, and so are these altars, right? So when I talk about, for instance, one of our false altars, uh, CERN is one of them. Um, abortion programs, unjust wars. Um, you got the people with the yellow, blue, and white flag going a, a, up against Putin, um, and and really. This is a uh, this is a land grab. This is a fight over uh, facilities that the U.S. has put money into. So we've got facilities over there, uh, bioweapon facilities, and that's what the fight is over. Um, so you know the Middle East was over oil. Now we're oh, it's over munitions um, and stuff having to do with the VAX. Um, oh, yeah, I hope that doesn't give me another one. Um, so anyways, um, what does that mean for us? You know, we can see these things. You know, a lot of the times I've, I've talked about these things. and Or I, even when I hear brothers and sisters, you know, we talk about the weird things out there. We talk about the things that are unexplainable. The one thing that always gets me, I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat listening. You know, it's very rare where the people that they have on talking about all sorts of cryptids, megaliths, weird things, portals angels the latter whatever you want to call it they it's you'll be hard-pressed even to find christians talking about the the way in which we fight the way in which we combat you know my big interest is to put together you know this information for people to understand like look um there's there's a little bit of everything going on when we talk about uh spiritual warfare for instance or understanding identity or breaking strongholds, um, a little bit of everything, meaning we renew the mind, we get heart healing, we get counseling, we go into the courts of heaven, we go and spend time with Jesus in a God encounter that we might have. We have visions, we have dreams, we, have, we meditate on the scripture, uh, we meditate, we ascend in, into the spirit realms, we do group ascension. Um, you know, there's so many things that we do, and a part the the main thing what we're doing I believe 
as a priesthood is we are allowing ourselves to become altar spaces. We are allowing ourselves to be charged with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Holy Spirit, and then allowing ourselves to change the space physically where we're at, right? So um, when I talk about, we talk about, um, let's see here, did I get past that part? There was something I wanted to talk about. It was very interesting. Um, let's see, I'm skipping this part. Um, um, okay, this is what Gary Wayne says about the false altars. I, I put this in the wrong place, but um, uh, the root of the issue was simply this. The tower was erected not only to honor the false gods, but also to memorialize the act of defiance and rebellion towards the true God of the universe, who had sent the flood. All right? Nelson's Bible Dictionary states the tower was erected as a symbol for human pride and rebellion. Okay, it was an act of self-glorification, a statement of independence, making the rebirth of the antediluvian epoch of corruption, debauchery, and rebellion, right? So they're bringing it back, bringing back the old school stuff. We're going to take over the world again, essentially, and we're going to do it better. So the Tower of Babel is Nimrod's monument for his rebellion and an insult directed at God, okay? Other scholars note Babel was the embodiment of all evil, a wicked kingdom, set adroitly against God and his chosen people, symbol of pride, oppression, wealth, luxury, sexual license, and idolatry. That last part jumped out to me. And, you know, that's why I was talking about the the altars of today, the false altars, you know, what essentially everything that is falsely on the mountains, the seven mountains of society, they want to spread pride, symbol, symbols of pride, oppression, Wealth, luxury, sexual license, and idolatry. I mean, even the even the fact that, you know, the whole movement for the rainbow people is called pride. You know, it's like, uh, duh, right? Like the pride of 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 uh, of Satan, right? He wants everybody to rebel, and and he'll get everybody rebelled whatever way he wants to. It doesn't matter. Um, the cool thing that I'm starting to believe is that the people of God and the people of the earth are starting to see the false altars for what they are. And we're seeing that they don't give power, they don't give prestige, really, they don't give comfort, they don't really give a separation from the ills and the problems of the day, you know, maybe temporarily, but, you know, um, nothing uh, to the degree to which we need it, you know, which is peace of mind and quiet in the soul. Um, when things are, are, are shaky, or too energetic or frenetic, um, there's not enough resource, money, power, whatever, that'll make us feel as if um, we're grounded. You know, we need peace. We need shalom peace. And that's what the Lord provides. False pillars constructed on the land, they infect the inside of the home and the mark and the markers of rebellion. All right, so the de a declaration is made through the construction, exploitation, and trauma present at the creation of such a structure. But um, ultimately, the our Babylonic systems have been placing these things all over. So in the news, the media, um, the business is the that's the biggest one for me. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is crazy. You know, you have Target, you have Bud Light, and they're signaling a certain agenda, and people are saying that's a false altar. I'm not going to go to that thing and erect and, and put my money exchange my money with this altar for this deification here right the rebellion doesn't resonate with us you know it's funny 
the idea I had was that, you know, we're altars, we're going to resonate with the Lord, and the space is going to resonate with the Lord, right? I also had a thought that the false altars resonate with our rebellion, but there's certain types of rebellion that the rest of the world is still not jiving with. You know, it's over time you start to see the lessening of inhibitions, the lessening of boundaries. And so over time you see things that we're okay with now in 2023 that we wouldn't have been okay with back in 1970, right? Even though that's like the sexual revolution, there's things we do now that they'd be like, that's tacky, you know, keep it behind closed doors. And so what I'm saying is there is a frequency of rebellion that is being spoken to based on that frequency of rebellion that first shows up at the fall, right? The frequency of heaven, though, the frequency of the Lord, it, it's calling to us continuously as well. And it's, it's more subtle, but it's pure, you know? And when we see it, when we feel it, we know it, you know, completely, that we're home or, or that, that thing, that, that worship experience is real, tangible, and it's something that the Lord wants us to continue to, to, to meditate on, to, to desire even, right? Is that moment, the expression of the presence, right? To feel the presence of the Lord is nothing like it. You want to continuously do it over and over again. The things of the false altar mentality, the false altar paradigm, those things are not really giving us what we need, right? It's momentary. It's speaking to the rebellion in us. And it's given us a tiny morsel of an expression of life, but it's not fully life because it's not coming from a creative stance. It's coming from death and scarcity and destruction, right? So our jobs as priests is to first off understand this stuff. It's almost like the, the sons of Issachar, right? The priests of Issachar, they could understand the signs and times. They could understand why certain things are happening, and they could tell the people, look, this is happening because of this. We're under this yoke and this stronghold because we're doing this. We can have a better life expectancy. We can have, for instance, um, just a better fellowship, better community feel if we stop doing this one thing. If we stop giving ourselves over to this thing, which is a false altar. Now we know this thing is false. Let's turn away and turn back to the Lord. Right, so let's agree on this, Matthew 18, 19, 20, right, it says, if two or more agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So I'm saying we have power, we got a fellowship, and we have power. Now the interesting thing is, is we have power and fellowship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit as well, right? So in actuality, we've always got two or more with us, and we always have the opportunity to ask um ask in his name, right? First uh, Peter 2, 5, he says, you yourselves are like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, right? So I broke this down and, you know, I, I, I was like, man, this is, this is a lot considering we're talking about altars and unhewn stones and sacrifice, right? It's saying the sa spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, right? So not spiritual sacrifices that are unacceptable, Right? What are those? Right? Those are the, the intention of the heart. Those are the things that are, are pulling us to the earth realm, pulling us to the need or the scarcity or the feeling of scarcity, the discontentment, uh, whatever it might be. Those are the things that are not acceptable to God, um, whether it's, where it's built for power, prestige, and notoriety, um, or subjugation, right? We are living stones, okay? We are building material for altars and houses, right? We are living stones. We could possibly be used 
as a as a portion of his mansion, right, or a portion of his house, right, where the physical material, where the spiritual material. Uh, Jacob says, "How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, right?" So he. He is in a place, he sees the angels ascending, descending, he says, this place is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God, all right? He puts an altar on top of the house of God. He puts stones on top of the house. He put he puts stones to mark out where the gate is, right? So he's using a physical marker to say, to say this is where the house is. So he's basically using an old school GPS unhewn stones he pours oil on the stones and he anoints them and he says this is the house of god this is the gate of heaven all right i think it's significant you know thinking about it you know we have jesus in us and the bible says you know in the last days we're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the son of man right well if they're ascending and descending upon jesus and we're in jesus and we're supposed to be like Jesus and we have Jesus in us, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we're a temple and we're 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 altars, we're living stones. I believe some way, shape, or form, we're gonna be understanding more about portals in the unseen realm. This is an interesting thought I've been having for a long time. And I just continue to have this sense this is something for us to grow into and to understand because you know, the, the, the other side, you know, they're operating in things, you know, I, I don't like to gravitate towards it or give it more credence, but I'm telling you what, man, if, if, if the other side is operating in some stuff that we know not of, that we're, you know, we need to be right there too. We need to be able to go to certain places, pray over places, go there in the spirit, you know, uh, or be there physically, you know, I'm talking about Philip, right? I'm, talking, I'm saying Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And instantly the Holy Spirit takes him somewhere and he's in another place altogether, right? I mean, we need to be mobile, you know, but we also need to be very dangerous for the kingdom, right? And we become very dangerous for the kingdom when we start understanding what the heck's going on in the unseen realm, right? So this is where man's wisdom goes out the window, all right? And we state that the degree to which we'll experience these happenings, right, our spiritual highs, our, our times in the spirit, um... It, it starts and it's, it begins and ends with Jesus, right? Jacob sees Jesus standing there. Okay, Jesus tells him of the inheritance, right? Jesus is always, um, he's always got angels rolling with him, right? So, you know, all this to say, our love and adoration of the Father and Yeshua is deeply connected with our ability to uh, experience the power and the authority, meaning to govern over spaces, to govern over time, to govern over dim over dimensions, to bless people, to consecrate people, to consecrate spaces. We have to have uh, a capacity to understand that there's a continuous uh, more that we want. There's a continuous more time we want. We want to hear more from him. We want to see him more. We want to feel him more. We want to uh, uh, abide in him more. We want to Get rid of the stuff that causes us to feel yucky, depressed, judged, uh, lacking, fearful, whatever it might be. We want to get rid of those things, right? We meditate, we worship, we read the word, we speak in tongues, we raise our vibrational frequency. And the closer we get to Jesus, 
and our hearts and in his heart's intention towards the world uh, reflective to Jesus is we yield a higher degree of oneness closeness and access to the throne right so the the act of becoming an altar invites the host of what you see in heaven right essentially we make ourselves portals more what God is doing in the unseen realm is more available to us now as we put ourselves in the flow in the frequency resonance of of the shalom peace so we're trying to match what's happening in heaven when we sit before the lord when we speak in our tongues when we ask the lord for vision and occurs when we sit in the quiet space and we try to lean into his presence we sense that sense the presence of the lord you know sometimes you just have to sit and say jesus where are you you know, and you work on your breath, you know, and you, and you can sense him. Now, obviously, it takes time, um, you know, sensing your angels in the room, all those times. It, it just sent, it just is time spent with him, you know, time spent like worshiping or praying with him. And it's understanding the subtle changes that are going on around us that we're picking up on more and more, the more we're less entrenched with the things of the earth which is our CNN and our Fox Newses and our Twitters and our all the good stuff, the jobs and, and this and that, you know, and our nice little show we watch with our spouses. Look, I'm all for it. But there comes a time, at least once or twice a week, where you just sit before the Lord 30 minutes to an hour and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? You know, even if it's just to breathe. Just to settle in with the Lord, to allow Him his voice, his quietness to be more important than the thing that's due tomorrow, you know? Um, and so, you know, um, a couple things came to mind the other day um, as finishing up these notes here. Elijah, right? Elijah, he, he, there's an altar built, the stones doused with water, fire comes. There's another moment, and I don't think they're connected, but where the the servant of I think Elisha says, "Look, we're surrounded." Elisha's like, "Look, God, show him what's going on. We're surrounded. You know, we got help, so don't worry." And he opens his eyes, and he's got angels and chariots, all sorts of um, portals are being opened up with these brothers as they move into the mandate of what God's calling them to do. That was the second thing I had to talk about was, you know, we can we can definitely operate in consecrating our homes and consecrating our vessels and and working towards, you know, um, you know, blessing the things we own. There's another move, though, where we bless the spaces, you know, where we ourselves become a priest. We in the spirit realm create our altars. And, and, and that's as simple as saying, Jesus, I know you're here and I know you want to bless this space. So, Jesus, what are you doing here and what do you want me to pray? It's, so, it's, it's that simple, right? But getting your background, getting your information, understanding what's happening in the, in the spirit and in, in the unseen and the natural, that gives you a little bit of an edge, right? And so um, all that to say is we have the ultimate edge with the Holy Spirit. Right. We also have an understanding that the Bible has been speaking to us a better word for a very long time. And it's time for us to start uncovering these hidden truths that are not really hidden uh, when the church first 
was around as a entity, if that makes any sense. But what's happened is we we've lost a knack for understanding the the world we're living in. Like the world we live in, we just say, okay, it's it's this, you know, and it's nothing more. But what actually happens is back to these false altars is when you defile the land, something happens to it, right? There's an energy release. There's a transference. There's a flipping of the um, equilibrium of the frequency of the harmony of a space, if you will, right? So in these these places where they have these megalithic structures, there's lots of destruction, death, blood, cones being made, right? These there are four types of iniquity. This comes from spiritual mapping. George Otis Jr. I think it's defeating the Nephilim agenda. That might be the book. Or he wrote another book that's like it, but I know that's his name, and I know I'm also getting this information from a nice lady named Dr. Laura Singer, who does a lot of work with the Nephilim. She specialized in the Federal Reserve and that whole, basically, the story going from the Nephilim to the Kazarians, which settled in Ukraine, and then the elites, for lack of a better description and the Federal Reserve with the, the the richest people in the world just about creating our current money system. They did this at a place that had lot activity and they did it at a place that was um, definitely given over to false altars, right? So in these places, what we need to know, we don't need to know about the gory parts. What we need to know though is what's happening and what's the actual um, uh, consequence, right? So there's sexual immorality, idolatry, broken covenants, covenants like uh, covenants made with the First Nations people, right? They Or divorce, right? The, those promises were broken. They said, we're moving here, they moved them here, and they made them walk, and they died. A lot of, a lot of people died. Trail of, trail of Tears, for instance, right? Um, the other things are the blood covenants, and uh, um, did I say in bloodshed? That's what I was, right? So all these things, right, we need to decree, we need to break the curses, uproot the wicked structures, so we strike at the root of the issue, right? We, we do a little bit of reconnaissance, we look at history, we dig through history, and uncover any spiritual defilement in the land. Um, um, we can hear and feel what's happening in the land, we can ask the Holy Spirit. We research, do demographic data, interview people. This is what she says, newspaper articles, intercession, create a prayer brief. Intercession is a huge part. And basically what she would do is go out on teams and pray over the land. There's a lady named Benny Johnson who recently died, Bill Johnson's wife. And she was known to have taken people up to Mount Shasta and praying over those spaces, going into caves, knocking down false altars and idols and stuff that the witches were actively doing up there to cast spells over spaces and people possibly in their in their church probably too there's a lot of people that a lot of witches that end up at that church and some of them get saved so it's pretty cool but in, in, any, in any event our job is to be the priests we are the priests of this garden right um so we are um literally um the ones who are overseeing the sacrifice, okay? So those, those the world false altars, okay? Their agenda is just to bring in um, 
bringing destruction, right? The things that we see in the earth, education system, governments, politics, whatever, those false altar altars are meant to bring our eye to a system that is dying, right? Continuously, we're supposed to see something that's not working, needs to be fixed. We need a better dollar. We need a better... We need a better way for the churches to operate. So let's have one religion. We need um, we need to vote on this thing. We need to fix this thing. But everything is is still the solution is still pointing towards a depravity. It's never perfection. People are never getting healed. Whatever it is, um, most of the time, if it's having to do with the systems in the earth, and it's something that's put out by the powers at be wanting. Uh, cataclysmic change and destruction these things are pointing to our own depravity and our own need for God but also the answer that isn't God all right so anyways I'm done with this this is a very long one I'm glad you know so many people are checking out and, and hanging out and getting a good word and we're just gonna we're gonna pray now and my prayer my prayer for us is that we start to understand, uh, first off, the altars that we've created in our lives or the things that we've been exchanging with, um, our old jobs, for instance. Um, and it doesn't mean we're going to quit jobs. What it means is we're just going to stop giving uh, real estate away. Um, our heart wants to be connected with Jesus completely. And we've been shown to see the world as all there is. We've been shown to understand that there's no way out except for by our own ingenuity. And we've been shown that everything within the world is the only thing that's, that's actually operating, right? And so my understanding with the Lord, I believe, is telling us people is that we, we just have to break out, you know, break some of these boxes, break some of these sacred cows. And I'll give ourselves a chance to actually operate in some spaces we've been called to for a long time. Um, the Bible talks about elementary teachings being that of the raising of the dead and the casting out of spirits and the creation of food, for instance, or certain like basically whatever Jesus did, we're supposed to be able to do that and much more. But Paul says these are elementary teachings. Okay, we should go on, you know, he's saying like the raising of the dead is an elementary teaching. I'm saying, wow, okay, what's next, right? So I believe the false altars in our lives are coming from different directions, you know. Not everything that's in our life is bad. I guess what I'm saying is, what is it telling our hearts? What is it speaking to us? Is it telling us that Jesus is, is victory? Is it telling us that Jesus can redeem the situation? Or is it telling us that we're going to be stuck here forever? That we're going to have to be on this medicine forever? And that if we, you know, I've heard of people changing their diets and eating a green diet and the diabetes goes away, right? I've, I've seen people's feet grow. I've seen healings, right? I've seen miraculous healings right in front of my face. So, you know, it's never too late, you know. And there might be another answer than what is available on the earth. And there might be an angel that needs to bring it to you, right? So let me pray for us right now. So in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these priests. Lord, I thank you for these people of God who are setting their lives down for your cause. 
Lord, I thank you that you've given us eyes and ears to see what's happening around us. So, Lord, as I pray, I pray, I pray that you strengthen us, you gird us up in the name of Jesus for the days to come. That, God, as we're called to be priests over the land, we're called to pray over the land. We decree peace over the land. We decree an end to the war. We declare an end to the war. In the name of Jesus, we, do, we declare uh, favor um, with finance. Or we, we declare an event, whether it be in wealth transfer, whether it be vast, vast amounts of money given to brothers and sisters, um, who just almost like the Exodus, they're just told, like, just get out, take the money, get out of our system, whatever it is. I don't know, Lord, you, you want to do a mighty work in the earth. But I think most importantly is you want your people to have an opportunity to see you for who you are. So, Lord, we just say in the name of Jesus, break down all false altars in, in, in the earth, the false churches, religions, political systems, um, so any uh, health care systems, education systems, Lord. Break down the false altars, um, tear down the the things that are behind it, the spiritual entities and forces that are guarding it. Uh, break down, break away, and break off, Lord, um, any of the connecting entanglements, Lord, the spiritual entanglements in the name of Jesus. All the witchcraft, we would just reverse it upon the uh, heads of the senders in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that, Lord, there'd be people... That influential, influential people in in these sectors, on these mountains, um, able to understand what's happening, get a revelation, and to start to make uh, implement small changes, but very important changes, which would uh, flip the tide or flip the complexion or the temperature of what's happening out there right now, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would allow the people of God to see their uh their best frequency their gifting their talent their anointing where they're appointed lord so god we can resonate in the spaces we're supposed to be in so lord when we walk some walk into a space lord people are healed in our shadow because we are resonating we are harmonizing with what you're doing in the space based on what you want to do in us and through us think in the name of jesus and i pray this in his name amen all right, guys, with this, this was awesome. This was pretty succinct. This felt good, so I'm glad. Um, God bless you guys. We'll be back again some other time. Um, I'll be more frequent, hopefully. But um, hey, I'm glad you guys are rocking with me. And just to let you guys know, you know, I, I come out with these posts when I feel like the Lord leads me to it. So, you know, I'm not out here digging for content, just trying to make something happen. Uh, you know, if it's one post a month, it's one post a month, you know. I'm glad you guys are rocking with me and sticking with me because uh, every time I come with it, you know, it's, you know, the Lord puts it on my heart and I just do whatever I can. I try to bless y'all with it. So, hey, y'all stay blessed. Uh, give to somebody, give a hug to somebody y'all love. And I tell somebody else uh, this week that Jesus loves them. All right. Love y'all. Peace.